Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 153, and today's guest is Alistair McLean Foreman, CEO of Takeometrics. The 800-meter race is said to be one of the hardest events for a runner. You need to have the long-distance endurance combined with the all-out effort as a sprinter. This is a perfect analogy for being an entrepreneur, where you have to move fast, but you need to also think about the long haul for building a company that will hopefully have a long-standing future. Thus, it's fitting that Alistair is a runner who specialized in the 800. He grew up in England before coming to America to attend Harvard, where he was captain of the track and field team. To help him buy textbooks, Alistair began selling products out of his dorm room, which led him to becoming one of the first third-party sellers on Amazon. It was this experience that ultimately led him down the path of starting this company. Takeometrics is the leading retail optimization platform for sellers on Amazon. They are optimizing billions of transactions for thousands of sellers, brands, and agencies around the world to increase their overall sales and profits. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Alistair's journey to America to attend Harvard with only $900 in his pocket and two suitcases, the story of how he became an entrepreneur and how being one of Amazon's first third-party sellers led him down the path to starting Takeometrics, all the details on their platform, how they are helping their customers, and the growth plans ahead for the company, Alistair's prediction on what the future of e-commerce could look like, advice on when's the right time to raise funding, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, the VentureFizz job board is absolutely blowing up. There are so many amazing opportunities to check out across the hottest tech companies in Boston and New York. You'll find positions at all levels of experience across all job functions like product, engineering, sales, marketing, customer success, user experience, and more. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash jobs to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Alistair. Alistair, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity. So we have a lot to talk about as you've been building companies for, for a long time as an entrepreneur and your current company is scaling and growing aggressively and there's a whole uh, world that we're going to talk about there as it relates to Amazon too. But before we get into that, let's. so you're um, someone that has a background in running. So you actually... Uh, we're a runner for the Great Britain and English national teams, which is quite an accomplishment. But it's from what I found, what your specialty was the 800. Now, I, I ran a little bit of track uh, in high school. My, my daughter runs. And 800 is always like, I thought, the toughest race because you got to have the mind of a sprinter, yet it's not a sprint. It's a middle distance. So you have to go far, yet manage your time and you know run effectively to complete what is essentially running your hardest for 800 meters. So, so how does that relate to entrepreneurship? Well, it's a, it's a really great question. I'm, I'm really happy that you bring this up. I, I think the great thing about running in general is it's a sport where it's, you know, very objective. Um, it's very measured. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, you, you, there's very little politics and um, it's all about performance. And, and also, you, you, you get a lot of what you put in. Um, you can't make it, you know, with respect to your training, your commitment. Um, and, you know, that's the same as, you know, an entrepreneur's journey or, or something I would tell our employees, you know, there is really no substitute for hard work. And the 800 meters, I think, you know, is a lot of that sort of underlying um, performance and effort with, 
different types of training you know you've got to have that long distance mentality you know i did a lot of cross country unfortunately which was you know very painful and you know lots of long distance stuff that i didn't like but you have to put that hard work in and it's a grind um and then as you said you have to have that um you know sprint speed as well um so i, I actually really enjoyed it i know people say that the 800 meters is a, is a really tough race but you know i i Maybe maybe that's why I am an entrepreneur. I I, I actually enjoy the grind. I, I enjoy the you know training in in the snow or the rain. And you know whilst I guess my competitors, I, I imagine them being soft. And and then the reward of of winning and being successful is is much like um, you know running a business or, or or being in a startup. I mean you're kind of against the odds. But that sort of thrill of, of, of success after the grind is, is incredibly satisfying. And, and really, that's, you know, why I, I love doing this. Yeah, no, like being an entrepreneur, it's definitely a sprint because you're always running fast and hard. But it's also a distance run where you're hopefully your business will go the distance. So there's definitely a perfect analogy there. But let's rewind the clock. So talk about your background. So, um, you know, where did you grow up and you know, what were you like as a, as a child, too? Uh, well, I grew up in um, inner city London, um, not a very nice neighborhood of Southwest, Southwest London. I lived above a retail shop. Um, my mother, fortunately, you know, really valued um, education. So used to drive me out of the city to, uh, to school. Um, I, uh, I ended up, you know, really um, being quite fortunate at, at you know, having a combination of being good with athletics, you know, rugby, soccer, and then eventually track and uh, having good grades. So I was able to, to actually go to a, a pretty good um, high school. And um, I had pretty strong grades. And uh, one of my math teachers knew that I was interested in running. Um, and it's almost a dilemma in the UK if you're, if you're good at sports and you know you want to go to university there's that trade-off and my math teacher suggested you know looking into american universities and um this was 1999 ish i think and i um i remember googling you know top universities in america and printing out a list and and just saying okay i'll just apply to the best universities and see what happens and um took this thing called the sat which i had no clue what it was um, and was just really lucky to be admitted to Harvard. And um, um, I remember actually flying to Boston Logan with two bags, showing up at the airport and took the subway to the Harvard dorms. And it was this huge ordeal with you know, all these parents moving their, you know, very proud parents moving their kids in. And, and I was just there. Um, and I was like, this is going to be a fun vacation. And um I mean, America's been a, an amazing experience. In fact, I, I think I have that same mentality today. It's sort of like I came with two bags and nine hundred dollars, and you know what can what you know everything is upside. It, it's just such an incredible place for entrepreneurship. Um, you know, even when you think about the business that we run here at Take Metrics, you know, we come across amazing entrepreneurs every day that have you know, invented their own businesses. And I just love the spirit. So I was really, really lucky to have that chance. And um, I actually started my business my freshman year at Harvard because I had to pay for all the textbooks, um, started selling goods from my dorm room. And, um, and that's how this all got started, really. Um, I became one of the first third party sellers on Amazon in 2003. 
Um, Amazon had reached out to me and said, look, we've got this project. Um, we've done a deal with Toys R Us. Uh, we think we're going to build a marketplace to build, sell products outside of books. And uh, again, it's a very lucky scenario that 16 years later, um, especially since it was Cyber Monday yesterday, you know, which broke the you know, US record for uh, you know, $10 billion of e-commerce sales. Amazon's taking about 50% of that. And 60% uh, of that is coming through third-party sellers, of which I was one of the first ones. Um, so, I mean, it, you couldn't have really predicted that to happen. Um, I'm just you know, really lucky to have had that opportunity to sort of learn and figure it out and then help thousands of other sellers. Well, share the details on, on the first company that you started. Like, what, what were you actually selling? Uh, well, I started selling um, running watches, actually. I, I had a watch that, a heart rate monitor watch that was given to me by the um, British track team. And um, it, it broke. And I remember, you know, calling up the 1-800 number and it was, you know, press one for a consumer, press two for a dealer. And I was just like, okay, let's just press two for a dealer and whatever that is. And say, and I just asked them, what does it take to become a dealer? And they said, you, you know, you need to place a purchase order. I didn't really know what a purchase order was. Um, and you needed $5,000 or some large amount of money. And um, I borrowed the money from, from Harvard's <laughs> computer loan program and then just bought a load of watches, had them shipped to my dorm room. And I built a website that was really focused. Um, well, it just shows you how e-commerce has changed. You know, the website that I built was basically you know, we're runners or I was a runner and this is the watch you should buy. Um, you know, you're going to get this product from a credible source. You know, it's, it's SSL secure. It's, you know, you're going to get it within two weeks. It was sort of almost like this mail order era of the early 2000s of, you know, people were trading off the fact that you were a legitimate website with credibility. Of course, today, Amazon's changed that where it's, you know, expectation in some cases is same day delivery or lowest price. Um, so it created this interesting opportunity to, to build a curated website around the products that I liked. Um, and then I would just call up the manufacturers and, um, in fact, they would come to the dorm room and in many cases they're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I said, well, I just want to keep selling products. Um, and then one of the requirements was have, to have a retail store. Um, so I, so I went and rented a retail store and, um, in in the you know suburbs of boston and and just cycled to that and then met the the rep and said okay i've got a retail store now will you sell to me now and they said yes and you know just kept selling and sort of been doing that ever since well not not anymore i i now do it through thousands of other sellers that we help but have been selling stuff since i've arrived in the country that's a fascinating story so show up at campus two bags nine hundred dollars later had the raise money to pay for the PO. So talk about, I mean, that's just like grit, right? Just figuring out a way, building a business, like just such an inspirational story. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, I've never really thought of it that way um, in the sense of, uh, well, I, I mean, sort of just always just, it's, it's, it's been sort of quite natural. Um, and we see that a lot with the customers that we work with. I mean, I, I love telling the stories in our all hands meetings of, people that we've met who've put products onto Amazon um, and have gone from zero to, you know, a million dollars a month in sales. I mean, I think my story is, um, you know, one of 
you know, millions of entrepreneurial stories. And in fact, there are 2 million sellers on Amazon and, you know, companies like Shopify have uh, really inspired so many different creators of, of, of products. It, it's cheaper than ever before to take a product to market sort of direct consumer. Um, you know, what I was doing actually was selling other people's products. You know, I was going and talking to major manufacturers like Oakley or Garmin watches or, you know, you know, these were established brands. I think what's so exciting now about the future of retail is people are actually creating their products, branding them and going direct to consumer. And that's actually a lot harder than what I was doing. I was just buying and selling other people's products. Um, so I have tremendous respect for, you know, real brand builders, folks that have made particular products. Um, I, I was just sort of trading goods to make money, I think, at, at that point. Now, one of the interesting things that I found out about that company, so HDO, like you had like a training part, which was very like revolutionary at the time. It was almost like a Peloton back in the day, right? Like, I mean, it wasn't for cycling, but it was for running like a personal trainer and you went online and got, you know, advice and, you know, personal instruction. Yeah. Well, thanks. You've definitely done your research. So you're right. It was ahead of its time. Um, so what, what, I, what I wanted to to do um, after selling the watches is I wanted to create some differentiation, some way to um, really be able to sell a product and then have some continuity with the subscription service. It was way ahead of its time. I actually met the founders of Fitbit um, at that time. Um, they were in Boston. Uh, yeah, and I remember emailing them and saying, um, you know, I've sort of built this training website. Um, it was also before YouTube was released so I actually filmed myself what did I use I think I used Brightcove I actually in a, in a studio just like the one I'm sitting in um, which was uh, this retail office that I rented you know basically filmed myself saying that I'm a runner and you paid a subscription to, to, to help coach you um, and that was literally before YouTube so there was no way to um, streaming you had to pay for you know number of plays etc um and, and what ended up happening um it, you know i ended up it was pre-mobile so there was no ios store um we ended up actually licensing it to the new york city marathon which i thought was you know that was a really fun project so so what ended up happening is the ing ing financial services sponsored the new york marathon on the day of the marathon um the lottery opening, there were sort of 40,000 people that are invited to run the marathon. And then they got an email to sign up for this online training program. And we built that. It was super exciting. You know, we made several hundred thousand dollars in sort of one day with that. And, and that was really fun. And then that changed into more of a broader marketness. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, there was sort of the era of, um, you know, a couple of really successful companies, some of which were in Boston, you know, Runkeeper. I remember wearing a Trainio t-shirt, which was the company I started and, and hearing someone shout at me in the street. And it was Jason Jacobs, who was <laughs> about to start Runkeeper. He said to me, hey, you know, um, I've, I'm a, I've built this thing. It's this app. It's this whole new concept called the iOS store. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't even know what that is. And, you know, that, that literally was the era where, Apple had just sort of released that opportunity. So there were a whole load of companies like uh, Map My Run and, um, you know, uh, Daily Burn, Runkeeper, um, 
I think one of the ones that sold to Under Armour at My Fitness. Um, so I missed that. I didn't have any. I went. You know, I didn't have any funding. Um, you know, it could have been Fitbit. It could have been Runkeeper. It could have been Map My Fitness, and, and it just wasn't. So that was a, an example of uh, you know an also ran, so to speak. Um, I mean, it did moderately well. You know, ended up selling the business, but not not to, not for hundreds of millions to Under Armour or anything like that. Yeah, no, it's it's, uh, it's good to be ahead of the curve, but sometimes it can be a detriment of being too early to market where the distribution wasn't there quite yet. But, um, but yeah, I remember, yeah, Runkeeper was one of the first, I don't know if this is right, but it was like one of the first 1,000 apps in the app store or maybe even first 100, I forget the exact number, but it was very super early. Yeah, I do remember that, yeah. So the company, so, uh, so you, you did end up, that company was acquired and then you stayed on with that company for a while and, and was focused on, on growing that too? But to, to the fitness company, I sold independently um, and okay. sent, sold that to News Corporation, um, who, who actually rebranded it and used it as a fitness platform for one of their newspaper properties. And then the e-commerce business, yes, I did sell to a private equity group, and that was in a, a, a you know a really good opportunity to grow and um, you know experience a different type of leadership team and management team. Um, and I actually left that business um, with really a, a sort of almost a, a different mindset. You know, what about selling other products outside of sporting goods? You know, you, you kind of create this um, almost playbook or a, or a brand around selling a particular type of product. But when you look at something like Amazon, the thought I had was, well, what if, what if I could sell anything? So I actually originally started thinking about, you know, building a company to figure out what to sell on Amazon um, in any category. And that led to this sort of data science approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up um, talking to a friend about it. I remember specifically, this was, um, you know, it was, it was in New York at a party and I was sort of telling my friend, you know, what I was doing and, and sort of talking through the, the, the data component. And, uh, you know, the real, the, the question was, well, isn't that technology more valuable than, than actually selling stuff? You know, w- w- that IP of, of the tech to enable you to sell more profitably. And uh, I'm glad I listened to that friend because um, on the bus ride back from that trip, I was thinking of different branding ideas and I wanted to embody discipline and a data-driven approach. So I came up with the brand Taker. Um, which is the Japanese word for market price. I actually got the idea again from running because I'd run twice in Japan in an international competition and I trained with a Japanese university team and they literally measured every athlete's weight and body fat before and after running. And it was just this super disciplined, you know, maniacal approach to numbers. And I was like, if only I'd run my retail business with this level of precision, um, and that's how the the brand name Taking Metrics was born, and um, built the marketing website on the bus back from New York, and um, put out some Google AdWords to acquire um, Amazon repricing software was the keyword. And um, what's really incredible is that customer that seller is still on our platform today. We had an all hands where I, I brought her in, and and she talked about growing her business and. And that was that wasn't even the first customer. That was the first ever lead. 
So can you believe that? Like, it was literally the first lead, <laughs> like lead number one. And I'm not exaggerating. She wrote in and she said, you know, I you know have all of these problems which I was acutely aware of because I was also selling on Amazon. You know, I need to price my products in this particular way. I was like, okay, well, I can help you do that. And then I took the developer and the CTO that helped me with the fitness um, product. And, um, you know, we originally had this idea of running some data analysis and then sending her a spreadsheet back, <clears throat> but we ended up just building the app for her, uh, building an app and said, you know, over the weekend, click here and you can just log in. Um, and that started the first real platform for automated repricing on Amazon. And then, and that, that just kicked off this whole new company. And, you know, here we are hundred, hundred employees later and several thousand brands and, you know, billions of dollars of transactions. And, um, that was it. So what are the, the key challenges that, uh, Amazon, you know, resell, like people that are selling product on Amazon, what are the key challenges that they're, they're facing? I mean, is it controlling inventory? You talked about, you know, pricing, uh, and profitability, like what, so what are the struggles that they have? Yeah, it's all of the above. I mean, you know, think of this as as a situation where there's billions of dollars of transactions going through Amazon and 65% of it is going through third-party sellers and, and they're flying blind. Um, you know, they're flying blind because Amazon is the network. Um, but it's very difficult for Amazon to provide the reporting on profitability because Amazon is optimizing for its own profitability. Um, it's very difficult for, um, you know, Amazon to be able to provide any support at the scale because they have, you know, 5 million sellers. And you've also got this unprecedented situation where the transactions lie within Amazon. So as a seller, let's say, you know, you invent a brand tomorrow and you know, you want to go to market, you have to go out and invent the products, ship the product typically in from overseas, figure out how to create the product listing, figure out how to get it to Amazon. And then that's your problem. It's your risk. And, and that is the survival of the fittest mode that Jeff Bezos has created to you know, really create a platform. What, it, what, what they're not doing is helping you optimize. You know, what should you price that product at? What should you inventory, how much should you reorder? And, um, you know, the thing that's really helped us in the last two years to grow very quickly is, you know, the invention of Amazon advertising, you know, to get your product discovered. And that, you know, that's something that's, you know, really applicable to small brands, big brands. Um, and, you know, we've really, um, you know, helped, you know, tremendous number of brands do that. But, but the, the most important thing is the fact that the, in a world where the transaction sits within Amazon, it's actually the data optimization that's the most valuable. If you think back to what I was doing when I started my own business in my dorm, I was doing all sorts of things like website design, AAB testing, graphics, um, designing landing page, trying to figure out the shopping cart, you know, conversion rates, and even different plugins that you could get to do different things on the page. Amazon has taken all of that away in one universal, incredible consumer experience. And the competitive advantage to selling now is how do you manipulate your data? How do you optimize your data? And that's what Takeometrics does. You know, we're behind the scenes, but we optimize, you know, a tremendous percentage, uh, you know, 
a percentage of Amazon's overall sales. Um, you know, we have thousands of brands, you know, $6 billion worth of GMV, um, which is a very large percentage, um, you know, really of the overall pie. And um, it's, it's really exciting to help, help thousands of sellers do that. So talk about the evolution of the company. So, I mean, you kind of highlighted, hey, I was riding home on the bus and, you know, purchased uh, some AdWords and, you know, acquired leads, some of which are still customers today. But what was the evolution of the product over the years? And you also, um, you know, mainly, you know, self-funded this too before raising capital. So, so how did you go about, you know, building the business initially? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've, sort of learned over the years of you know failing and mentioning the, the fitness product and and um, the other different things that I've done is how difficult it is to find product market fit and what I mean by that is you know really identifying a problem and and uh, you know and, and finding a market to do that and I think with take metrics I was really lucky that that I had product market fit day one because I built the technology to help ourselves and um, and I think for that reason, the DNA of understanding the pain of a seller has always been very natural. Um, you know, that's all really all I've ever done. Um, so I have a really good understanding of what keeps you up at night. You know, it's the inventory risk. It's stale inventory. It's, it's like going to the casino on Cyber Monday. You're in there, you've got all your chips and you're just waiting for it to, you know, to go. Um, so there's this sort of unique psychology that's very entrepreneurial, and, which is why I love it. And, and then thinking about what are all the different functions that the seller needs. Um, you know, a lot of the mistakes that I made, you know, what I thought was great was, you know, in college telling everyone that I was making a million dollars a year, but was telling everyone my revenue. Right. And, you know, that's a really ridiculous mistake to make. But we see a lot of that, even in our biggest sellers. And, and what you need to do is you need to look through all the different costs and understand your true gross margin. In a way, Amazon has no interest in telling you all of that because they're taking 30% of the transaction. Um, I think there are so many analogies in the world today that are similar. I mean, if you just sit in the back of an Uber and you ask an Uber driver, you know, what, what's that experience like? And, you know, they don't really know how much they're making per hour. It's really hard to calculate, right? There's surge pricing, there's you know wear and tear on your car, insurance, all of the, the downtime, transit back and forth. It's very similar to being an Amazon seller. So, you know, just sort of understanding that pain, I think, you know, it's just really allowed us to number one, get the product in a good place very quickly. Um, and then yes, we self-funded the business. Um, you know, it, it's it it really wasn't clear that there was a lot of value in what we have been doing until maybe a, a couple of years ago. I mean, if I, if, if I was telling someone I'm building software for Amazon, you know, eight or nine years ago, I mean, people would say, what is that? Is that like eBay or is it like, you know, I thought Amazon sold everything. I didn't know, didn't, you know, a lot of people didn't know that there was a concept of a third party seller until quite recently. And it's what I find is amazing is how the mindset shifts of, okay, oh, well, Amazon, you do software for Amazon now. That must be really successful. And that wasn't the case uh, a while ago. Um, what's interesting is from the investment standpoint, uh, it has been tricky to you know, raise capital when you're so dependent, or at least in the eyes of an investor, 
on on a platform. I don't see it that way. I, I see the business model that Amazon is offering is is the future of retail. This idea that all the consumer demand is in these closed loop networks. You know, we'll see e-commerce uh, evolve on on Facebook and Instagram, Walmart, Google, and it will all look very Amazon-like. Um, so you know the 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 power is in the data science and the data and and the access to the seller's trust to help them execute on each platform. Um, so fortunately, we've had some amazing investors. We had the head of econometrics from MIT uh, invest as our first ever investor. His name's Jerry Hausman. He consulted with Starbucks, you know, Budweiser, Home Depot on a lot of the data science stuff that we do today. And when he saw the business, he said, you know, this is the most interesting company I've ever seen because it does everything that I did for massive companies. And now you have structured data to do it at scale. Um, so then we had you know, him and some incredible other early investors. And you know, that gave us some time to prove out the model scale. And then we raised our Series A at the end of 2018. And um, you know, we've, we've grown more than two and a half times since then. And um, you know, we're, we're gonna keep growing. So it's, it's, been, uh, it's been sort of uh, tough. I mean, we talked about earlier about you know, the, the, the idea of entrepreneurship. And I think the other thing going back full circle to the running is what's so interesting about running is you can either take your time and say, that's my physical limit and that's the fastest I can ever run. Or you can say, I'm going to break through that and I'm going to push ahead. And, you know, if you doubt yourself, you can say, well, maybe I'll never get faster. You know, maybe one, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe that's it. And I think there's this similar mindset when you're listening to investors or, you know, struggling through growth, um, you have to have this belief that, you know, you're going to grow, even though the, the current state is, um, you know, smaller than you'd like it to be. So I noticed that you, uh, you know, the actual platform, it's branded as a flywheel. So is that, so what's the current state of the platform company and growth plans ahead? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, you know, we, we wanted to, we, we launched uh, an advertising product um, in 2017. It was the first product for machine learning for Amazon advertising. And uh, it was very specifically focused around sponsored products. Sponsored products are the keywords, or at least the advertising units when you type in keywords, uh, when you, you go onto amazon.com, I'm sure you're familiar with them. Um, and you know, we wanted to create a deeper product towards what we call retail optimization platform. And you know, this, what I mean by that is a vision around inventory pricing and advertising and thinking about the profitability of the seller. Um, so we, we wanted to iterate and we, we came up with this um, product name Flywheel. Flywheel relates to this um, investment in advertising, but the relationship between advertising and overall profitability. And, you know, that we released that product, it's been phenomenally successful. And, um, you know, that's the SaaS product that's powering, you know, billions of dollars of, of Amazon spend and, and retail transactions on Amazon. So we're going to innovate Flywheel further in 2020. Um, we're going to be opening new channels, um, you know, mention some of the opportunities, Walmart, Google, Instagram, Checkout. These are all platforms that we think are going to be very similar to Amazon. Um, and then go deeper into the seller's pain, you know, going back to that 
core DNA, you know, what keeps sellers up at night? And, you know, we've got some great ideas around that. So you can expect to see more depth from us in, in 2020 around that. That's very exciting. So you're going to expand beyond Amazon. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that's not, um, that's not, um, that's just driven around the future. You know, we, 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 you know, we can see what's going to happen and, and just listening to, to what sellers want. Um, and it, it's exciting. It is interesting. So I, you know, 60% of uh, revenue comes through third party sellers and Amazon gets, Amazon gets 30% of that each transaction. Approximately. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Astonishing. But that, but that percentage has been increased. Um, so we, you know, we, we take a percentage to help optimize and improve their profitability. Um, so it's, it's incredibly difficult to be a successful company, um, in e-commerce. I mean, you can have a great product, but you know, how do you merchandise it? Where do you merchandise it? How do you manage your inventory risk? And using data science, you know, we have incredible data scientists there, um, and, 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 and a really huge data set. So we can actually make recommendations that are impossible to do with humans and better than any other company in the world because we have scale. And, um, you know, we, we automate a lot of these processes that are really difficult for sellers to do. So what, what are your thoughts on the future of, of e-commerce? You kind of highlighted, you know, there's going to be a world outside of Amazon. I heard an interesting idea. I think it was actually yesterday on uh, Twitter. So Sarah Hodges from Pillar had uh, put up a tweet saying, you know what, I, I wish there was like a, a subscription for Instagram where I just see the ads and I would pay to see those ads because it would be like the future of the shopping mall just browsing through. So someone else piped in saying, you know what? I was actually looking for something. It was just strolling through all the pictures, not wanting to look at the pictures on Instagram, just looking for that ad I was looking for. I actually did something recently over the weekend, the same exact thing where I had an ad for uh, sneakers that I liked. And I'm like, oh, what was the name of that brand? Because it was a brand that wasn't like Nike or something. So anyways, what are your thoughts on just the future of e-commerce? Because it's really fascinating. I like your thought process there and um, you know what you've just been talking about because I think Instagram, obviously owned by Facebook, and if you read about sort of Facebook's recent challenges, you know, they've in a way saturated you know, their, their user population. Um, and if you go back and see what Amazon's done with, it's, you know, they're monetizing 30% of the entire transaction. So it would be very logical, I think, to see Facebook and Instagram in particular lean into e-commerce. And I think, you know, just your experience just there, you know, you, you, you want to buy good products. You, you, you would be willing to transact within Instagram. Um, so I, I see a lot of these um, aggregated, you know, walled gardens like Facebook and Google and, and Instagram uh, being really, really exciting places for the future of e-commerce. Um, there are some missing pieces. Obviously, Amazon Prime is such an attractive fulfillment network. You know, you know, how do, how do they uh, how, how does, um, if you, if you, if you offered an opportunity to sell a product on Instagram, how would it get to a customer? I think those things are going to be solved with autonomous vehicles and robotics and, um, it's only a matter of time. And once that's going to happen, I think you'll see, you know, Instagram is a great example. Um, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity there to keep, uh, improving that algorithm, keep, keep, um, making it a clearer place to buy. And it's actually a much more transparent way for 
Facebook as a company to monetize their users. I mean, they've taken so much flack for selling out their customer data, user data, I should say. You know, e-commerce is a much more transparent way to make money. Um, and uh, it could be very interesting. So, you know, those would be my bets. I think buy on Google's also interesting. Google shopping is evolving. Um, it's great. It's great for consumers. I think Amazon is is obviously a powerhouse. Um, but, you know, there, there's just a lot of ways to think about the way to bring products. These networks has its benefits. I mean, Instagram is a much better place for discovery than Amazon. Amazon is a place where you're essentially typing in what you want. Instagram is a place where you might find a new pair of sneakers because of your browsing patterns. So they're all data science companies in a way. Um, and, you know, they represent the demand side. You know, we're a data science company that represents the supply chain to connect into those. So, um, you know, you talked about building on top of Amazon and investors might have been a little weary, like, ooh, you know, that could be a challenge. And, you know, you're expanding into, you know, other categories too. But uh, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs that, you know, as they're starting to build products and it's logical for them to focus on one platform and hopefully expand like your company has? Um, like what pitfalls? Because I've seen companies in the past that, you know, built on top of Facebook or LinkedIn and they turn off their APIs or change them and it just destroys their business. So what pitfalls or challenges have you seen that you would recommend other entrepreneurs to, to avoid? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think there's risk in anything and that's why it's, you know, entrepreneurship and it is risk reward. Um, so there's always a danger of, of change. Um, I think really understanding you know, what you're doing to create value and, and, you know, having a trust of your primary customer is important. Um, you know, I think coming back to our, our vision here, which is to help sellers, you know, I, I was one of the first third party sellers on Amazon as we've been discussing and just thinking through, you know, what do these people want? If you stick to that, assuming that selling, which I think has been around since the caveman era will continue as long as we stick to that, um, I think we're not entirely insulated against risk, but you're in a, you've got a pretty good guiding star for where to go. Um, I, think, I think it can become tough if you, you know, raise a lot of capital and you know, you'll keep chasing product market fit and you sort of lose who are you really trying to help. Um, but you know, again, it's, it, I mean, there's risk in it and everything as you know. Now, uh, the, the actual raising capital part, like when did you know it was the right time to raise capital for your business? You know, some people are like, Oh, I have to raise now, like before you even kind of have a product. Uh, some would say never raise, you know, just focus on bootstrapping and, you know, you know, venture capital isn't always the best way to grow a company. But so when yeah. did you know it was the right time to, to, to raise a round of funding? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, some of it was just, you know, we had no choice. Um, I think that was sort of 90% of the, you know, the situation. Um, you know, in certain cases, you know, we got rejected or I've been rejected. You know, I can't remember the number of times, you know, hundreds of times probably at this point. Um, so, that, you know, there really is, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's less a case of, you know, could we raise capital or, you know, it's just, you know, did we want to raise capital? It was that, you know, we couldn't. Um, and um, and I think sort of balancing that with having real conviction 
that the scale of the idea was big enough. And um, that was a sort of big turning point. I think it was at a point where we started to see, you know, real stickiness. We started to see, you know, people write about us, people, you know, go out and um, review our software or, um, you know, write couldn't live without your software. Um, I, I, I want to do a lot more of that. And I don't think we're ever happy with the technology and we're always, you know, should be self-critical. So, it, you know, it's never good enough. But there's, you know, I think once you've got a point where I always use the sort of restaurant analogies, you know, thinking through, you know, what made McDonald's successful, you know, you've got to get the recipe right. When you, when you start to see that repeatability and people coming back, um, then you start to makes a lot of sense. It's like, well, then if we had more money, could we grow faster? Um, the other thing would be sort of firing myself from all the different functions, you know, nowhere near as talented as the people that we've hired in our product teams and our sales teams and marketing teams now. <clears throat> and I think being able to attract true talent that, you know, has really driven the company to a next level. I think that was a turning point. You know, I used to, sort of have a mentality because we had no money of trying to do everything myself um, and just the difference that really talented people can can bring and then I think you're on the point of no return there because then great people attract more great people and then you know those people are you know worth more and then it just starts to snowball in a really good way so what um what are you reading these days or podcast you're listening to any recommendations out there it can be business or for fun it doesn't have to always be serious um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I read quite a lot of stuff. I mean, I like, um, in terms of books, I, I really like biographies. Um, I'm actually reading the Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall biography. It's pretty interesting, you know, just immigrant story coming to the US, you're really having no clue. So I, I like those kind of success stories and, you know, whether it be entrepreneurship, or athletes and so on. Um, but that's a good book. Um, podcasts. I mean, I like the Sasta one. That's a bit boring. It's obviously a simple choice for me, but um, the Economist podcast, I think is really good. Um, yeah, but you know, it's just so much stuff out there to consume. Um, so, you know, always learning. How about outside of, uh, outside of work? What do you like to do for fun? I've got two young kids, um, you know, so uh, two daughters, They're busy. <laughs> five and three just got back from a really nice trip to Europe, um, which was nice and, you know, traveling and, um, continue to do a bit of running, but, uh, you know, generally working and looking after the family, that's a full schedule for me. Alistair, thanks so much for walking us through your background, all the great stories as far as coming to this country with $900 and scaling and building a company to all the great advice for other entrepreneurs to follow. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.